Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, this is episode 41 and we're going to hopefully give you the 411 on all things South London today. Um, this is this is an episode I've, I've really been wanting to do and put together for, for some time. Um, it, it's a region of, of huge importance to the English footballing scene, um, particularly of late. And, and I suppose like an onion that, that has so many layers to the stories that are to be told about some of the players and, and key individuals who've, who've left their stamp on the region. Um, there, there's just so much to peel back. Um, and uh, I think we're just going to go straight into introducing our guest today uh, and, and to talk us through the area and the players who hail from South. Um, we have none other than uh, TalkSport presenter, uh, Channel 4 reporter and, and Brixton's very own uh, Jordan <laughs> Jarrett Bryan. Um, the Jordan, Brixton is the most important part of that whole intro there. There you go. There you go. That keeps me credible and um, my, my reputation intact. In um, how you doing, man? You good? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. How are you? I'm well, I'm well, man. I'm really good. I'm feeling good, feeling great. Thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. We were just discussing that you're you're off on a little uh, a little holiday uh, am, after mate. this. Um, so I appreciate you fitting us fitting us in. No, mate, you're good. You're good. Um, I mean, the main reason um, why we've invited you onto the pod today was because um, we we saw your, uh, your your documentary uh, on the Game Day podcast on Talksport, which was mm. uh, the the South London Talent Factory, mm-hmm. um, and that came out around a year ago. Um, and it is an excellent listen if if anybody listening to this wants to get sort of in depth interviews with like high profile contributors on on the topic of South London football and the footballers from that region. Um, I think I would have nicked the name for that episode and used it here if you hadn't beaten me to it. Um, <laughs> but I'm sure I'll come up with something just as clever. Um, but yeah, I, I mentioned briefly that you, you're on TalkSport, work with Channel 4, um, but there are a few other projects that you're involved in. Um, just singling out one, um, what is Blackademic all about? Oh, okay. So yeah, Blackademic is um this is a youtube show which i started two years ago and it's a show where it's a panel di- panel discussion show with an all-black panel um discussing issues relating and affecting the black community really um i started it out of a need to elevate um and amplify uh black voices having worked in television now for oh god 11 years or uh, yeah 11 years now and having worked in news, I, I, I worked Channel 4 News, as you mentioned, the sports reporter, I was noticing that whenever, Channel 4 News, we have a lot of what we call discos, discussions on our news programmes. Other programmes, BBC Sky, don't do it so much, but we will have like guests in the studio, or well, pre-COVID but anyway, and we'll have a discussion with a politician or with a guest. We're quite big on those live discos. And I was noticing that whenever we had a disco on anything to do with politics or business or science, um, it invariably be a white person. And anytime we did a discussion on uh, sports, entertainment, or fried chicken, or knife crime, it would be a black person. They'd be calling him black. I was like, hang on a minute. I just thought I know a plethora of fantastic, articulate, experienced, intelligent, progressive black people across a wide breadth of different areas and industries from law, politics, business, fashion, film, and more. Why are these people not being on mainstream TV? So I just thought, you know what? I set up my own show and we'll have these discussions as well. It was also basically because I was fed up of seeing um, the likes of uh, Nick Ferrari and Piers Morgan at the heart of discussions about my community and my people. That's kind of why I set, set up my show. We talk about a wide breadth of things from sport to politics, fashion, education, mental health, um, culture, comedy, and a whole lot more as well. So, and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's slowly growing. I love it. So check it out if you get a chance. Blackademic.com is our website. Blackademic spelled without any C's. So it's B-L-A-K-A-D-E-M-I-K. I mean, I, I did take a, a look um, before sort of recording this podcast, and it mm. was the one that stood out to me simply because it just it, it books the trend, and it's so it's so important and necessary um, in sort of the the modern media sphere that you do have um, adequate representation across all backgrounds. Um, well, so I, I think it's it's of vital importance. One hundred percent, and I think the internet now allows us to not have to wait. <laughs> they don't oh, exactly, have to wait. Yeah. I, I do talks with young people and a lot of mentoring. One of the things I tell these people that want to break into the creative industry and journalism, the media, is what are you waiting for? The times where you have to be wait to be published or wait to be commissioned, them days are gone. 
them days are done. You don't have to wait anymore. You can be your own author. You can be your own publisher. You can be your own media publishing house, um, be it in visual or, or written or any other form as well. So I just thought, what am I waiting for? I know some, I put together a great team. I've got a team of 15 people, editors, camera ops, uh, graphic designers, producers, podcasters. I've got a great team of people that I've, that I, I know, trust, and we're growing, and we're learning, and we're doing good things, and it's I'm in control. And that's the thing. Media doesn't have enough black people in decision making and senior positions. And my production company is no is no media juggernaut, but it's mine, <laughs> and I decide and I dictate what goes out and how it should and what the framing is and what the tone is. And that's a big part of what I think my community in particular, which is for another day, my community needs to kind of really take ownership of its ownership. It's owning more things and having mm -hmm. a bigger say. Um, and in my small little way, I'm, I'm doing that. Absolutely. I think, I you know. left there, so thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. Honestly, I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't have asked if I didn't want you to, to talk about it because, oh, again, it's, it's, you know, it, it's about getting that, the representation. It's so important. And the only way that the creative industry improves and thrives is when it is more diverse mm -hmm. because ultimately you're just constantly in a goldfish bowl. You're in an echo chamber, whatever you want to call it, a hive state of mind. You need questions from different nests. So ultimately... Yeah, it's 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 something that I, I wanted to discuss anyway, um, and, I, and I'm sure I'm sure we will once we stop recording as well. Um, <laughs> but just getting back to sort of um, back to you, you know, mm. growing up, who were your footballing or, or sporting heroes? My sporting heroes were, and I, and it's, I think it's really important that you add the word sporting heroes because I, I don't believe that people should have. Um, heroes per se, unless they're people they know. I don't like the term role model because role model, I think to have a role model, you, you have to know that person. Mm -hmm. I think you can have sporting heroes, so people that in a sporting context you look to, but the minute, if I ever have kids and my kids start talking about my heroes, Justin Bieber or Wayne Rooney or mm -hmm. Sergio Aguero or bloody Lil Wayne, um, they'll get a slap across the mouth because <laughs> your, 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 your role model should be people you know. My sporting hero um, was Ian Wright. It was Ian Wright. Um, Ian Wright was the person that I, he's the reason I support Arsenal. Um, because one of my mum's best friends, his partner, was a big Arsenal fan. And my mum's best friend had a son who was a year older than me. So we were like, I don't know, five and six, um, respectively. And I used to go, we used to always go out to their house and hang out at their place and whatever. And whenever I used to go around to their house, um, my friend Irad, his dad, dad um was always uh, watching arsenal watching football and he was the biggest arsenal fan anyway so just being in the room all the time arsenal was on and this was the year that ian wright signed remember the year before actually but i think it was, I think it was the year that ian wright signed for arsenal so it was a really big deal for him because and, it, and thus me because ian wright em, embodied so many things that we as black men and me as a young black boy resonated with he was he looked like a lot of the, the, the black men in my life joe he he was dark-skinned he was confident he was a bit even cocky he had a gold tooth my mum's got a gold tooth my dad's got a gold tooth mm -hmm. many of my relatives and elders have gold have gold teeth he was from south london he was from originally jamaica he when he did it when he scored a goal he did a bogle dance now for people that don't know what a bogle is it's a it's a it's a jamaican dance that we do where you kind of you kind of put your two hands in a gun finger and you very rhythmically um whine um to 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 a rhythm anyway he did that on a football pitch after scoring goals when i first saw that i was like wow <laughs> this guy is just a whirlwind of me and I, I was just captivated by him so um asked all the team that i supported but it was it was mainly through him it was also because he was one of many black men joe that um that uh, was at the club and he was he was there when it was in the round time Michael Thomas was there, Paul Davis was there, Kevin Campbell was there, Rocky Roadcastle. No, he'd moved on by then or somebody else anyway. Um, but there was it was and, and that was at a time when it was quite rare to have four, five, six black men in your team. I think Villa had quite a few, United had a couple. Um, we know about West Brom in the 70s, 80s, but it was rare to see a, a top division team have that many high profile black players in their team. So e Ian Wright was the person that I really looked to and he played football like it was his last game. 
He played football like he was just playing on a pitch down the road with the man there, kicking a ball and wanting to score seven goals in the game. It wasn't political for him. It wasn't, what I mean by that is it wasn't, he didn't get wrapped up in the kind of academy way of this is how we play football. This is how we conduct ourselves on the pitch. Like, no, this is where I'm from. I play with the exuberance and the energy and the charisma that, comes from being me that comes from being a south londoner he was cocky he was he was vivacious he was confident he was funny he was cheeky you know he would he would do things on the pitch that you were just drawn to but you were also drawn to him his smile his energy his way his his way of being was very 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 captivating and it was a big big pull as to why i supported arsenal i've met lots of famous people but he's <laughs> the only person that i've met he was the first time i genuinely joe was like I was like a little like like a little like a little girl. I was like, like a little awe, girl. just awestruck, just oh, being God. in his presence. It was it was just like it was insane. It was and the way it came about was really weird as well. And I was like, oh hi Ian, how you doing? He had the biggest smile on his face. And he's like, yeah, I'm good, I'm good. How you know you you were you were. I was like, yeah, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I just done an interview by TV News for something, some campaign he was involved in. So I was like, oh, my name is Jordan Jack Bryan. I work here. I'm a sports report channel for. And he's like, oh. And this is where I almost, there was a big pile of poo almost came out of my backside <laughs> and down down the sides of my, of my inner leg and out of my, out of my trousers. He said to me then, yeah, 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 no, no, yeah, of course I know, I know who you are. I've seen, oh, seen no. your work. No oh, way. Hey, I, almost, I was almost done. And the words were, yeah, 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 quite no, I've seen your work, man, I've heard you on TalkSport. Yeah, I love your work. Oh, I was done. I was done. A weightless feeling. That must, I was that must have felt absolutely incredible. I, I mean, it, it, it tallies quite nicely with sort of the just taking this to the next next area of the podcast mm. because, you know, I think the most succinct way of saying that was, is Ian Wright was somebody that you were able to identify with from a very young age because mm. you came from the same general area, um, mm. it being South London. And yeah, it, it's it's the same story for, for, for so many, so many young lads and, and young girls, I imagine, because it, it's someone who was in the public eye and he was an image extrapolated onto the national scene, but was exactly the way he would have been when he was still having a kick about, um, you know, in South London. So the, I, I can completely resonate with the fact that, you know, you, you identified with somebody, someone who was so down to earth and so just so in so engaging to, to get along with and that's exactly what I, I would expect from Ian Wright you know if if he met someone that he that, he'd, that he respected and sort of admire the work so I mean yeah that's, that's a fantastic story um he's I mean the he's, the, he's the, he is the man he's one of he's one of my favorite pundits simply because first off he, he always does his research you can tell when he's clued up you can tell when a pundit is clued up and one who isn't and Ian Wright more often than not comes down on the right side mm-hmm. um and I think that just speaks volumes because, you know, he'd still get booked uh, if, even if even if he wasn't because he's he's a great character. Sorry. But he's also but he's also really knowledgeable, too. And I think with with the documentary that you, that you put together, um, the South London Talent Factory, having Ian Wright on that must have been an, an incredible privilege. It was amazing. It was my, I'm full disclosure. I must be honest. I didn't. I did all the interviews in that documentary apart from Ian Wright. I've got to give the credit to Joe, <laughs> Joe, Joe Bayer from Cheeky Sport. Um, he he knows Ian Wright as well. Uh, well, I say as well. He knows him better than I do. Um, and he he got Ian Wright uh, for us, and he did that interview. So I can't take credit for that that interview that was done. Jo- Joel did that. Um, but it was great. You can't have a documentary on South London football and not have Ian Wright on it. And I think when you listen to the documentary. So many people, I believe in the documentary, and people that we, we spoke to who didn't include it in the doc, all say it started with Ian Wright. He was the first one that we saw and thought, yeah, if you know, Ian Wright's the kind of character that I want to be. Um, I want to play free and 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 with no with no shackles, and I want to enjoy my football and just just have a laugh on the pitch. He was the person that I think a lot of South London footballers. And beyond, but in particular, South London footballers, he was the one that they they looked to as like the godfather, if you like, of of mm. South London footballers. So yeah, it was it was it was an honour having him on the documentary, and I don't, I don't think we could have done it. it. We could have done it without him, but it, it would have lost so much credibility if we hadn't have had him on there. I think I don't know if you you've heard it. I mean, you probably have, being you know quite evidently Ian Wright's biggest fan. But um, mm-hmm. his his Desert Island disc. There's a fan club for it as well. Actually, I've I've literally started a fan. I'm joking. I'm joking sorry. <laughs> I don't know if you, have you have you listened to his Desert Island. Disc? I have. I yeah. Have. I, I mean, that was one of the most sort of gripping um, sort of podcasts that I'd listened to, simply because it was just so emotional and it was so stripped back. And I think that again, being able to retain that. Um, 
that ability to be so down to earth despite you know 30 40 years of being sort of in the spotlight is just i don't know it's it's incredibly admirable and and i can i can imagine that you know the the young players um that, that are currently playing in the premier league many of whom as we'll get on to um do hail from south london um you know they they will they'll they'll name him just as you have you know as sort of being an, an early inspiration for them in their in their like they're taking their first steps into football without a doubt for sure, for sure. That documentary for me, that toy, that um, the Desert Island Disc, it wasn't as impactful, I'll be honest, on me as it was for everybody else, simply because I'd heard the story. Yeah. So a lot of the, I wasn't here for the first time. I knew a lot of that stuff that he said. But even having heard it all before multiple times, it still, it was very Ian Wright. It was very honest, it was very open, it was very naked. Um, and he, let, he allowed himself to be very vulnerable. And I think, as you say, a lot of people respect Ian Wright, not only because of what he does on the pitch, but the person that he is. So, um, so yeah, it, it, it was, yeah, I think it definitely connected with, with a lot of other South London ballers, not only for footballing reasons, but I think personal reasons too. I think just in just in case people think they've tuned into an Ian Wright episode, we yeah, so we should. <laughs> yeah. We've, should we move it forward a little bit. <laughs> we probably should maybe get on to some of the under twenty threes that are from South London in the uh, in in the Premier League today. Um, and I think just before we do that, I think a lot of them do credit sort of their 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 footballing education to just going out and playing this cage football that we're constantly hear so much about. And I think that. You know, the, the fact that a lot of these, you know, Wilfred Zahars, um, Eberichi Ezi, um, Eddie Nketiah, uh, you know, Ovi Ajaria, all of these players, you know, have very, very, very similar attributes in terms of, you know, they're very technical. They're very good in tight spaces, um, but they're also physical. You know, they know how to look after themselves on the pitch. I, I mean, to me, from sort of knowing a, 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 a very basic amount about, you know, cage football, that to me is because they played when they were younger. 100%, but you know, before those attributes, Joe, there's something that's really important that mm -hmm. uh, I think that those players and people from South London, players from South London, have before that. It's, it's, a, it's a confidence. Mm -hmm. It's an inner confidence that before you get to having to be strong to handle yourself on the pitch, in a cage, sorry, before you get to the technical ability that I think is acquired rather than just born with it, I think you have to go on there and you have to have a mentality and you have to have a um, um, a, a mindset that no one's beating me. Not, 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 not only is no one going to beat me, but I'm going to beat you and beat you well. It's not good enough to just beat somebody. In fact, it's, it's in fact sometimes actually more important. I don't know about so much now, but growing up in South London, you ask a lot of those boys when they were growing up, the winning actually wasn't even that important. The actual way you played was actually on a par with winning. People would much rather um, lose a game but not make you seven times and absolutely humiliate you and, and lose the game rather than win the game 1-0 and it was dead. It was boring. It was awful. One of the people I spoke to in the documentary, David Powderly, who was a coach from... Uh, he was a coach at Charlton and he's now worked with the England setup. He said to me, one of the things that he tells his, his boys at England, I think he's England under 16s, one of the things he says to them, don't be boring. Don't be boring. He says that, he makes that point, don't be boring, because this is a sport where, although it's, it's, it's essential to win, but the culture of people from South London, football I'm talking about here now, and beyond that, but we can get to that later on, but football for, 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 the, for now is to entertain. Do it with style. Do it with a little bit of sauce. Do it with a bit of mm. swagger. That is very important. And I think to, to, to be able to do the skills that a lot of these South London boys do, you have to have a mentality of whatever happens, I'm here to entertain. I'm here to express myself. I'm here to be free. I'm here to play football and have fun. In the cage, there's no, the only way you can come out of that cage really a loser is if you get embarrassed. If you lose the game, that's not great. And somebody might poke you for a second, but you can get over that. It's the cage. It's not the Premier League. It's, it's not the FA Cup final. It's not the... I mean, it's not the World Cup final, it's the yeah. cage. It's more important about the mentality that when you step into that cage, you better bring it. Don't have the, and it's even worse if you have the skill set in your locker and you still don't use it. If you haven't got much skill and technique ability, then you can maybe get away with it. It's like, okay, he hasn't got skills, so why would he do skills? But if you have the skills in your locker and you you shy away from that, that's that's the biggest crime at that level. Um, so, and then comes the, the need to be, <clears throat> 
strong on the ball, you know, be prepared to get pushed over, barged over, and just get up, just get up and push back harder. Um, the need to have technical ability, because the, the, the space is so small and the cage is so crammed, the need to be able to look after the ball and execute certain passes with certain parts of your feet, with certain parts of pressure behind the ball, that is important as well. So, yeah, I totally agree. The strength and technique is essential. But even before that, before you step into the ring, you bet in the ring, in the cage, <laughs> it feels like a ring sometimes, you better be aware that first thing, are you ready to actually bring your A game? That's the first thing. You need the mindset. Yeah, on that, on, on that mentality point, uh, you mentioned it, the word swagger. I think a lot of these players um, on the pitch, you know, they have, they have a lot of swagger, but they also have the humility. You know, the, you, you're not seeing showboating, which is out there to embarrass an opponent because they've beaten him once and then they're going to beat him another two times and then in, lose the ball. In, in professional football or in the cage? In professional football. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. Yeah, in the cage, I can, I can imagine that's a bit different just from what you've just been saying. But on the pitch, you know, the, these, these guys have gone from, you know, doing that in, in, in the cage to becoming, you know, honed, really, really polished athletes. Um, but I think, I don't know if you saw uh, Eberichi Aze's, um uh, piece with BT Sport um, uh, a few weeks back. You know, he was taken back to to back to his old estate, and just the way that he was, the way that he was talking, just always struck me as just a really humble guy. You're just really pleased that he's got a Premier League move. He's playing, you know, regularly at Crystal Palace, which obviously isn't very far from Greenwich, where he's from, mm-hmm. and it's just such a feel good story. I think you know to 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 be very true to your roots and remember where you come from i think is is vitally important and i think south london has that indelible mark on all of these players you know they all credit their upbringing in this area as being influential uh, to a massive degree totally. Um, totally. And, and and you can see what and you can see why from just what what we've already discussed and it's a culture thing as well so from south london i don't i think it's important to note that south london is an unique in the sense that it produces quality players. I think what's unique about South London is is the, the types of players that they produce. So you can go to other parts of the country that have got a reputation for producing top players. Um, Newcastle in the North East, um, Gaza, Shearer, Waddle, Beardsley. Mm. Um, uh, the famous Walls End Boys Club, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, you know, Liverpool, down, you know, Toxtiff, Rooney, Gerrard, or whatever. Um, you can go to Manchester. So South, South London is not unique in producing top quality talent. Where South London is, is unique, one for me, is the disproportion. So if you look at the size of South London in compared to a region like the North East or Greater Manchester or North West, it's, it's 10 times smaller, but yet it's producing 10 times more. That's what's the difference with, with, with South London. And what's, what's special about South London as well is the, where the culture comes in. A lot of those boys, if not all of them, come from backgrounds where they're poor to um, average in terms of their economic income and status as a family. So there's a big culture of, well, we don't go skiing. <laughs> we don't go, um, we don't do golf and tennis, none of those things. Um, we, um, what we do is we go to around the corner, there's a cage, we kick ball. And we do that from nine until nine. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? And, you know, and that's what we do. And I think the kind of melting pot of culture of how we do that, I think is, is what builds a lot of these boys. You get boys that come from parts of, of, of the African continent, boys that come from the Caribbean. And there's definitely kind of like a, like a relation in terms of we identify the struggle of what our parents have had to go through to kind of enable us to have shin pads and to have the fancy boots. And we're gonna we're gonna really work hard and graft to make try and make our dream come true. And I think when you put the element of music in, the element of fashion in, and the, those things I think all all harness the the confidence and the cockiness that I think builds a South London boy in particular. Um, and then when you give them a football at their feet, a lot of these people, a lot of my culture, it's about show, Joe. It's about show. Mm-hmm. It's about how you look. It's about the, the style, the way you do it. It's a lot of a lot of boys from my community, and I think this is quite sad um, when you take it beyond football. They'd much rather spend a lot of money on a Gucci belt and tuck in their Primark shirt above it, so you can see their four hundred pound Gucci belt. Mm. That's where I think the kind of showiness of a, of the culture of South London. And, and that's not unique to South London, to be fair. But a lot of the people that come from my culture and community, that's where I think it backfires and it, and, and it, and it, um, it doesn't work. I think there's a time to be showy. Um, I think there's a time to actually um, focus on st- substance. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean from essentially the impression I'm getting is that expression is important. Um, and from a footballing sense, that can be translated very, very successfully mm-hmm. and, and in, in a way which is going to capture the imagination. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the flip side of it is that, you know, you're essentially the, the expression is important aspect can can maybe pervade into more, well, less, le- more unhealthy sort of um, expressions so, of image and so, that sort so, of thing. So, totally. And that's why in, South, in London, the girls love South, the girls love love South London boys because we, 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 got, we got the we got the we got the talk we got the lyrics we got the the look we got the source we got all of that but in in many cases that's all they've got whereas on the pitch and the, this is the transition you make from the cage to professional football or or being signed by it by a um being signed by a club it's no 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 we want you to keep the source and the, and the style and the swagger but now you've got to win now you've got to play as a team now it's not just about you. It's not just about how many nutmegs that you can deliver. It's about, could just do one nutmeg, score the goal, win the game. And I think what's happened traditionally is that was actually, and this is why I think you're seeing such a growth now of South London boys coming through at national level. Traditionally, that was kind of beaten out of South London boys. No, 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 no. No step overs. 4-4-2, down the line, cross it, oomph, get it in. Put it in the mixer, 1-0, let's get out of it. Yeah. It's like, well, you lost, lost generation of boys. That were, that were as good as they were now. But the difference now is, is that the source and the style is being embraced. Gareth Southgate and the likes are saying, no, 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 no. Keep that swagger. Keep that style. Keep that confidence. Keep those, those nutmegs. Just, we need to work away now. How do we bring what they bring, which we love and which the fans love? And I think this is an element of the new breed of football fans, but I'll come to that in a second. How do we bring that into a team element and a winning element? Keep that but we need to work out how to bring uh, add that to an infrastructure of the team so that it's not just about you. It's about the team, but you're a big part of it. And we win games as well. Yeah, Joe Cole said on the um, on the the game day podcast episode, the South London Talent Factory. You know, he he was saying, you know, we we believed for so long that the Spanish, the Italians, the South Americans, mm-hmm. they were just naturally better at it. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that, you know, like you're saying, you know, it had been it had been kicked out and drummed out of a lot of these players. And I think what you say about Gareth Southgate and the England youth um, youth program, the structure of it that encourages that, but also yeah. keeps that sort of, you know, we're we want you to be this vivacious entertaining player mm-hmm. but do within a structure that allows totally. for it and totally. I think you, with, when you look at sort of the, the England unders groups that are coming through now you know they're punctuated by a lot of boys from London mm-hmm. and as, as we see you know the likes of um, I mean Ruben Loftus-Cheek's no longer under 23 but the likes of him Jonathan Panzo uh, Eddie Nketiah Joe Gomez um, you know when you think that those those four come from Lewisham and Lewisham as you were saying you know South London in itself is quite a small area. Lewisham is just one part of that. Mm-hmm. And to think you've produced, you know, four players who are currently playing in the t- in top level professional football week in week out, all within sort of two three years age difference between each other. I mean that is quite. And and the thing is that's that's the same with every region. Like you got Southwark, Tammy, Ovi, uh, Ian Paveda, Adi- Adamola Luckman. You know, the Chalabas, Jaden Sancho, Reese Nelson from Lambeth, um, you know, the Sessegnon brothers, Wan-Bissaka, Hudson-Odoi, Croydon. You know, they, there are so many, so many top-level players. And, and the scary thing, Joe, is there's 10 times more. Exactly. That's yeah. what's really frightening. There's, there's, that's, that, that's just the ones that make it. There's 10 times more here in South London of, of boys that, even if, you, even if we accept that not every talented player will make it, of course not, but there's a lot that don't make it that should make it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So you've, 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 yeah. you've just made the point, there's lots of them that have made it. The scary thing is, there's, there, there, there's, we spoke to Andy Ansar, who's the coach of a team in South London. He says, the scary thing is, there's 10 times more. There's like, you can't run out. <laughs> there's too <laughs> many almost. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You can't pick through, you can't sift through them all. You, you have to set, your, set your, um, your hopes on one and really hope that they fast track through. I mean, the, the, the thing for me is that, you know, it's, there are so many and you go back even in time, you know, obviously we've spoke about Ian Wright and, and David Rowcastle coming from the same estate in Broccoli, um, Rio Ferdinand, Anton Ferdinand from Peckham. You know, there were so, so many in back in the day as well. And as you say, there are so, so many that are, are just slipping through the net simply because they just don't have the, um, the, the access to the scouts because they simply cannot watch them. But on that point, do you think that, you know, with there being such uh 
such a pull um, for for scouts and for coaches to go to South London to 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 work with these players to to say, you know what, I want you at my club. Do you think that there's now sort of uh, more of a bias towards going to South London if you're a scout rather than a, another area because you know that you're going to pick up a player of a certain certain style? I think possibly. I think possibly. Um, I could see why you know if there's a, if there's a honeypot over there that's 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 tasting very sweet, well, you go to it. And as as I've just said, there's 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 there's, there's more than enough to go around. So it's not going <laughs> to run out anytime soon. But here's the problem, and this was flagged in the documentary as well by Andy Ansar. It's all well and good, and this has been the problem traditionally with with bringing those boys through. It's all well and good having the um, the amount of talent coming through. But if you don't, and this is what happened, I believe, with Wilfred Zaha when he moved to Manchester United, if you don't, you can sign those boys all day long. They'll join you. They'll join you from Palace Reserves or Charlton's youth team or wherever, Millwall. They'll they'll join you. But if you don't have the infrastructure and the personnel that can actually understand them and therefore get the best out of them, they're going to be a wasted talent. If you need, what this is what's more important now than the actual boys themselves, you need the coaches. And yeah. what I think went wrong with Wilfred Zaha's move to Manchester, we will never know the real reasons. I've got my suspicions. Hmm. But one of the things that I think when the reason why it didn't work out wasn't because he, he couldn't handle a big club. Um, it wasn't because it wasn't because he, um, uh, you know, he, he just couldn't handle being at that level. I think he was taken into an environment where nobody understood him. Yeah, he's gone to and 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 not only that, it's the biggest club in what the world, definitely the country. So you've got got you've got fantastic coaches there, but they don't understand him. And I think he got very homesick and very he was he was out of his comfort zone and he just couldn't he couldn't flourish because the coaches, the environment, the people around him, it was so alien to him. It, he went back into his shell. And as we started this this, this this discussion, talking about the one thing you don't want to do with with these boys is take them out of the sorry, put them back into a shell. They flourish when they're allowed to be free, when they're allowed to be, when they're allowed to express themselves and be the players that they that they um that they that they you know they need that they need to be. Um, and I don't think that he was given that environment. So going back to your question, I think that the, while the boys are, are diamond dozen there now, coaches will be thinking, hmm. Send us send a couple a couple of scouts to Charlton. Send a couple of scouts to I don't know wherever in South London. Um, you can bring them in, but if you're not, it's a bit like a like a like a Lamborghini. You can you I can have the money to buy a Lamborghini, Joe. I can buy a Lamborghini tomorrow, but if I can't drive that Lamborghini, if I'm driving like a Skoda, <laughs> it's, it's wasted. It's wasted on me. Yeah, Do you know what put, I mean? Yeah, exactly. You don't put petrol in a Ferrari, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I think what's important now is that these boys don't just jump at the first chance to go to a Chelsea or a United or an Arsenal or, or whatever club. They think to themselves, is the environment there going to make me um, flourish? Is the, Are there coaches, people that, that understand my type of game? How does my type of game fit into that? Type? I'm trying to give examples. I'm talking now of someone who's made that move and it's gone well. Um one will come to me in a second. But I think Sessing, look at Sessignon. He was the hottest thing three years ago. Now, I don't think he's even at. He's, he's, he's still at Spurs. Yeah, he's out on loan at Hoffenheim. So, yeah, right, there so. you go. There you go. He was the he was the, the next big thing three, 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 four years ago. And, and he's, he's kind of awesome squeezed man. out. Yeah, he's kind of been squeezed out because I think it, it, at a club like Spurs, you know, going from somewhere like Fulham where he was top dog, but it was comparably a much smaller club. It was quite clearly, you know, very much, a lot closer to his roots. Um, going to Spurs, I think, yeah, it might still be a London club, but it's it's a change, it's a shift, it's a culture it's, shift. It's different. It's different. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's very different. And I think it, that's what that's an example. Adam and Lookman, I think one of the greatest talents I've seen in years. I still yeah. think years that boy can play. He goes to Everton and he can't get on. He can't even get in the squad. They have to loan him out to Leipzig and all these kind of places because they just don't understand him. So it's all and good coaches and clubs saying. Um, to one of good coaches saying, yeah, send 10 people down to, to South London, we can pick up a talent. Yeah, but that investment is not going to go well unless you look after that investment. Don't put the wrong petrol, as you said, in, in put the wrong petrol in the right car. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the time, people say, you know, football management is the most personal business of all because oh. essentially the you know, humans. <laughs> yeah, exa- exactly. You, you know, the commodity is humans, and you know, getting the best out of them is 
is obviously going to come when the integration is right. I mean, in any walk of life, if you feel isolated, you're not going to perform at your best level. Simple no. as that. I mean, it's 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 so much better when you can get along with someone who you find some common ground with. So yeah, I can definitely see Wilf Sahar uh, going to Manchester United and not having somebody who who feels you can understand him. The same with Luckman at Everton, and I don't think it helped the um the situation with, you know, with, with the managers that he had there who just simply did not understand him. And I feel like that comes back to the whole point of, you know, these boys from South London, the confidence comes first. And that can perhaps be misconstrued by someone who doesn't understand that culture whatsoever as being cocky and, and you know, before you've actually proved anything, thinking that you're owed something. I, I think that's completely wrong in Luckman's case. I think that he, he was completely misunderstood at Everton. And I really, really hope that sort of, you know, a bit closer to home, he can do better at Fulham. Because I think there is, as you say, a fantastic player in there that, that he showed at Charlton. And as we're talking now, I'm watching the Arsenal-Leicester game. Um, and, I'm, and I'm watching Saka. And he's an example of someone that I really hope. And it looks like he's at, he's at, he's at, he's at Arsenal. Um, but there's, a, there's an environment, hopefully, around Arsenal that understand him, his skill set, what kind of player he is, how to get the best out of him rather than saying, no, 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 you've got to change for us. So I'm really hoping that really hoping that he's an example of someone that's come from South London but's going to actually flourish, not just be a talent that... Um, is here for a couple of years and then oh, I remember what, what happened to Saka a few years ago. He was the next. He was the, he was doing really well and he's just like yeah. I yeah, really got, that, got that one cap for England and then yeah. Kind of I, 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 that, that would upset me. That would really upset me. I mean, he's he's definitely one where I come back to the whole swagger and humility thing. The the I mean, it it's like Jekyll and Hyde with him mm. because you know he can be so so exciting, but at the same time he just looks like one of the most humble guys. Just the way that he carries himself on the Absolutely. pitch, and I think I've, I've got so much respect for that because it can't be easy, you know, making that transition from just being a normal lad from 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 where you come from to then becoming you know Arsenal's next big thing. I mean, it's not like Arsenal's a small club, you know, you've got the fan base, I mean, they are expectant. So I think for him to have had the season that he had last year, or 12 assists or whatever it was, and then to to be an integral part of, of this new team that, that Arteta's trying to build is, is I mean, that's that's a huge, huge endorsement to, to who he is as a person, completely as, aside from, you know, what he does on the pitch, which is, which is brilliant anyway. Yeah, um, it is. But I mean, we've we've spoke about you know region by region all these players and and the the Sessegnons, the Luckmans and everything, and obviously these are the players that make it to that top level. But lower down the footballing pyramid, um, uh, one of the things that that struck me about the the South London Talent Factory doc was that you spoke to to Gavin Rose. Um, yes, because I was going to come to him actually. Yeah, I had I, I've got a very very close, uh, very very good close friend of mine um, who has been banging on about the work that Gavin Rose does because Dulwich Hamlet is his is his local side, um, and he's been banging on about how uh, important and how vital the work that he's been doing there in just bringing young lads from um, from the streets of South London to into organized football and then in some cases you know pushing them on to to then go and play in the in the football league and and at the top level of non-league and i think you know for, for we we get caught up in you know football sometimes because it's so or it's so consuming it's all encompassing you know you forget that these are human beings at the end of the day but mm-hmm. Ultimately, some of the work that, you know, the Aspire Academy, which obviously is what you know this, but um, for anybody who's listening, that, that Gavin Rose um, has, has sort of done with alongside Junior Caddy, his assistant, you know, this is uh, it's changing lives. It's changing people's, you know, complete outlook on where their lives could go. And I mean, you just look at the likes of, you know, Erhan Ostumer, um, he was brought through uh, the Aspire Academy, now playing in the Football League. Um, most recently, I think Panuch Kamara um, is now at Plymouth, which is, I mean, that's going to be a complete, change of scenery but at the same time you know he's playing league one football mm-hmm. and i think to have spent the best part of 10 15 20 years doing that coaching in the community is so so vital from sort of a a social conscience perspective it's essential and i think that that's going back to my point about a lot of the backgrounds a lot of these boys come from they're they're, they're, they're not the, the most affluent backgrounds and i think that they tend, tends to be music or, or sport that gets these boys um, success and uh, you know I'm doing trying to do a lot of work to try and widen that um, widen that what's the word uh, list if you like of 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 definitions of what successes can be yet we love the fact that we you know we, we produce the likes of Stormzy and Dave we love the fact that we produce you know the footballers you just named as well but it's about making these boys realize that 
success isn't just playing for Arsenal or getting a record <laughs> deal with Warner Brothers. Um, and I think that the work that those guys are doing um, in working with the boys that don't make it, because we all know the stats behind the amount of boys that don't make it in the end, it can very, very, very quickly spiral out of control, especially if you are a talent that had the uh, potential to be a top footballer or a top rapper um, and it doesn't work out for whatever reason, you can very quickly be, um, you know, fall into a depression or fall into some kind of... Um, some kind of, what's the word, situation that kind of takes you down a, a dark path and a dark path can take you down to a, a criminal path. So I think the work that Gavin and those guys do is more than football. It's more than just about can we produce and harness and reach the potential of, of these boys. It's about, okay, what next? How do we keep these boys engaged? How do we keep these boys focused? Okay, they might not get picked up by a Chelsea or a Fulham or a Charleston or a Palace or an Arsenal in the local region of London, but that doesn't mean they can't still kick ball. And it doesn't mean that they doesn't mean that their that their footballing career has to, has to end. There are many many jobs in football off the pitch. So I think that what they're doing um, is phenomenal as well. We need more Gavin Roses at all levels of the game because as I'm, going back to my point about Man United and what my suspicion is, if there had been a Gavin Rose at Man United, Wolves are still there and, and, and is a success. I, I have I have no compunction about making that point. I believe if you have a Gavin Rose at those at those clubs. Wolf Sahar, Ryan Sessegnon, these guys flourish because there's a coach that not, not only technically can deliver, but actually understands them as human beings, knows where they come from, knows what it's like. Gavin spoke really well in the documentary about, you know, sometimes these guys are late. Joe, I hate lateness. I have a hmm. team, my Black Academic team, they know when we have meetings, I hate lateness. There's very, 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 very few um, excuses I will hear as to why someone's late. I don't want to hear I had to come across London. I don't want to hear the tube was right. I, I, I hate lateness. But, but one of the points that Gavin Rose makes in the, in the documentary is that if one of the boys is late for training, you have to understand that maybe he's late, not because he's slack or he doesn't care. Maybe he's late because he had to babysit his um, little sister or little brother because he's in a single parent household and his mum didn't get back from her cleaner job when she was supposed to. She was half an hour late, 10 minutes mm -hmm. late. That meant he can't leave the house, go training, because he's got to look, he can't leave his little baby sister. Bro. Those kinds of things. Maybe they're late because they haven't eaten. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're in a time where Marcus Rashford, I can't talk highly enough of what the work he's doing. Mm -hmm. But we're in, we're in a period where he's doing a lot of phenomenal work around trying to make sure that kids in his country are fed. There's kids that aren't fed. How can you, how can you study at school if you've not eaten? How can you kick ball? If you've not had a meal all day, and these are some of the, the nuances and the things that some coaches will just dismiss. Oh, you're late. You've been late three times this month. You're done. It's like, okay, well, how about understanding why they're late? And yeah. if they're late just because they're slack or they just they just they just don't care, cool. I'm the first one to get rid of them. I hate it. I hate it, Joe. But you need to understand first of all before we lose our head and we sack them. Ask the question: Why is he late? And I think people like Gavin Rose understand those nuances from the from the boys they're working with because they know where they come from. Maybe they're late because they were on their way to training, Joe, and they were on time. But maybe they got moved to by a gang of boys. How about that? Mm. Maybe on their estate they weren't allowed to they weren't allowed to leave the estate until they did something or said I don't know whatever. And a gang of boys bullied them. Whatever. You won't know that if you're not from South London. <laughs> I will. Gavin <laughs> does. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So that's yeah, why people it, like Gavin are so important. And it, exactly, it's, it's so important to have those people in those those key roles in at, at the at the co different levels of um, the the coaching structure at different mm. clubs. And I think one of the great things that um, that's come out in recent sort of weeks and months and years is um, sort of the Jason Yule, um, you know, having a more integral role. Uh, you know, he's doing great work with with England's under twenties. Obviously, Jason Yule had a very good career um, mm. in the Premier League with Charlton. Um, and you know, he, and he he has spoken about the greater need for 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 representation um, at at coaching level because you know we we see every week you know Frank Lampard, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, um, you know these coaches who, I mean, you know they might be very very good coaches and they were fantastic players, but ultimately is you know. Coaching-wise, credentials exactly the same. You know, if if say for example the the difference with, with a Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, for example, you know, uh, Saul Campbell's, you know, were they were they given the opportunity to go straight in at the top? No, they were at Burton Albion, Macclesfield, mm -hmm. South End. You know, there's there there is a there is a difference and a disparity there, um, and I think 
the you know Chris Powell, men like him, mm-hmm. you know, alongside you know Jason Yule, Chris Hutton, who's done a fantastic job uh, every everywhere he's been for the last ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, the having greater representation in that aspect is is so important, and it's only going to um it's it's only going to be better for for the young boys who are who are coming through in South London now to see the likes of these coaches who are going to be there to understand them, who 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 now see the likes of you know Ebere Eze being rejected from Arsenal. Um, you know, being turned down by Millwall, released um, by a number of clubs, and was was you know was considering going a completely different path until QPR took a chance on him. And I think Chris uh, QPR is a fantastic club for that because you know they've got Les Ferdinand right at the mm-hmm. top, who's fully switched on, um, uh, and he spoke fantastically recently about um, the issues with race and and football mm. uh, and and why he's no longer doing interviews because it's continually the same questions. The, the interview is being asked, but nothing's being done about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when they gave, he, he, I mean, he wasn't a success, a raving success there, but when they gave Chris Ramsey the job mm-hmm. um, at, at QPR was, was another example. And it's no surprise to see why the likes of uh, Eze and, and um, most recently Bright of C. Samuel, you know, doing well there. Um, because they, it, it seems as though there is a structure in place which encourages and makes these the, these young players feel at home, feel like they belong to a club because they can identify with the figures of authority there. Totally, totally. And that, that, that relation is essential. That understanding of the people you're dealing with and where they're from. You know, and, and for me, that just makes sense. If you're making an investment in a talent that you think this boy could be really special, you pay for him, you bring him over, you invest in him. Why would you not then want to put? This is something I think is is a problem for football generally. It's the fact that we seem to spend millions and millions and millions on 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 players, but for the sake of business talk, assets. But then you don't give them the environment to thrive in. You know why would you do that? Why would you spend money on a player and not make sure that everything around him is 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 set up to get the best out of that investment? There's no point in buying a Lamborghini, but then making sure that. You don't have the best possible seats. You don't have the best possible um, tires. You don't have the best possible engine. What's the point? You've got, well, a, Lamb- you've exactly, got a Lamborghini, yeah. but you've not actually given, you've not fulfilled it. You've not given it what it needs to, to make it a Lamborghini. You've, you've got a Lamborghini in all but name. You've got so the shell. Yeah, you've got the, exactly. You, you, we spoke about shells before. Like, mm. yeah, you might have the shell, but at the end of the day, it's the substance that you need, which is going totally. to deliver, deliver totally. on the pitch. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, to be to be perfectly honest with you, Jordan. I mean, I I envisage this 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 podcast going a completely uh, different way, but I'm sorry. So glad, I'm, no, no, <laughs> sorry. I'm so I'm so glad the way that it actually has gone instead, because it's just been a frank and open discussion about um about football, race, culture, um and and up and upbringings um uh, with with sort of the the base around South London and your your own sort of expertise in that area, and I think that a lot of people who might listen to this will go on and listen to the um the the South London Talent Factory um podcast episode because it it is excellent i mean you know <laughs> we don't have Arsene Wenger on this podcast <laughs> so you I know can get if you want i can put a call in <laughs> <laughs> okay. see that see that there we go this is this is the networking that that we're trying to promote here <laughs> um, but yeah i mean you know, there is so much that we've we've scratched the surface. Essentially, we've we've covered the the main issues, but we've uh, we've not really gone into enough depth to really talk about these issues um, and do them justice. Essentially, because you know, it, it's very similar to what Les Ferdinand said. You know, we can talk all day, but it's action, and I think that's why I wanted to discuss Gavin Rose because you know, he's doing ordinary, the work. My favorite is, phrase: he's doing the work. Exactly, he's not talking. He's doing the work. And you know what? Ordinarily, we're probably not going to discuss any too many Dulwich Hamlet players on this podcast. <laughs> but I tell you what, if there is one day where there is a player who has played at Dulwich Hamlet and he comes through and plays at, you know, League One, Championship, Premier League level, you know, you better believe that I'm going to go after him to try and speak to him, to just Good. get Good. the insight and, and actually just get their experience. And I think a lot of the time that's so important. You just got to listen to people. You just got to let, let, let them talk and just listen and learn. And I think that's so so important. But um, yeah, I think we're, uh, we're we're approaching sort of the hour mark, and um, uh, I'm very conscious of the time, uh, and that you are an Arsenal fan, and I don't want to deprive you of watching Arsenal. Uh, well, in a weird way, actually, I'm I'm at work now, Joe, and I don't have Sky at home, 
So in a weird way, the longer we talk, the more I can watch this game. But I do, <laughs> I do have to go soon. But no, 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 you're not deprived of anything. You're the reason I can watch this game. Otherwise, I would have gone home half an hour ago. <laughs> so um, yeah, no, don't, don't worry about it. It's all good. Um, just before we do close um, this episode, is there anything else? I know we've talked about Blackademic, but is there anything else that you'd like to discuss, add or, or, or promote sort of, you know, side projects, side projects of yours um, or, 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 of you know, other things that like other campaigns that you think are, are vital? Um, well, in terms of other shows, I, I have my own football podcast. It's called the Football Fans Podcast. It's on, uh, what do they call it, Apple Podcast, Apple Music Now, whatever it's called now, Spotify and all the other um and all the other podcast outlets. So that's where we have, there's a group of us that I rotate every week, there's three out of the four every week. And we just have real, raw, unadulterated, unfiltered, um, but unbiased football chat. I, I, I don't like pundits that are overtly, or a struggle with the ability to be neutral. I don't, I don't mind if it's clear who you support, but when your team should have lost a game, call it. When your team should have, um, had a pet man said, "Oh, just be just be real and say, you know what, we were lucky." I hate fans that try to talk bullshit about um, things. Anyway, so we have we have real honest um, fans. We have we have a laugh as well. It gets very tense at times, and we love it. Um, so that's my that's my football podcast. I'm on Talksport every week. Um, in terms of kind of campaigns or things that are important to me, I mean, the biggest issue at the moment, I suppose, is is racism in football. And I, I think that as football fans and all the people listening to this. I would like us to be now more proactive of how we fight this. Um, I've, I've long years been past expecting or waiting for the authorities to do do the work. I think the work has to come now from the players and the fans. I mean, we're the ones that can that can and ultimately I think we'll fix this if it is fixed. Um, so I would like I'd love a lot more fans to be a lot more um, yeah proactive in how we try and go about this. Calling calling out. Um, uh, things that we see, discrimination that we see, all, all forms of it. Um, I do have concerns about football generally and how it's going to come back when fans do eventually get back into the stadiums. I think it could be a while. I think we could be looking at another year um, before fans get back in, back to normal. And I, I, I do, it's a long shout, it's a long, long shout, but sorry, big shout, but um, I'm not convinced the season finishes. I think this COVID thing is 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 only getting started. I hope it does, but I'm I'm not convinced that it does. Um, but I think football, in some ways, is in a good place. Football's in a bad place in other ways. Um, but I think as long as the people that really count, and that for me are the, the 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 players and the fans, take ownership of 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 our game um, in whatever form that comes, then I think we we can get it back to a game that we all enjoy and we all enjoy and love. Um, and yeah. Subscribe to Blackademic, subscribe to Football Fans Podcast, um, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, all the good stuff. And I'll continue to hopefully bring bring my honest and, and informed opinion um, where where I can. No, thank you very much, Jordan. I really appreciate you you um you giving up your time and, and I know I know that you were you were running a tight schedule this week. So yeah, I'm really pleased to have to have caught you uh, right at the end of it. But um yeah, uh, I'm really, really, really glad to have to have got this done. Uh, and thank you so for speaking so frankly and openly on 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 issues that are of course personal to you as well. So um yeah, it's I think it's 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 vitally important. That is uh, episode 41, done and dusted, and hopefully that has uh, given you the 411 on South London's talent pool and, and the talent factory, um, as Jordan put it, um, which, you know, it continues to turn, churn out player after player, uh, and not just the ones who do make it to the Chelsea, Arsenal's, Palace, Spurs, West Ham, you know, further afield. Um, but I'm sure the likes of Lewisham, Brixton, Croydon, uh, Lambeth, Greenwich, you know, I th- I'm v- fairly, fairly certain um, that they haven't had their, their final say on Premier League matters and, and you know, the, the rest of the footballing world just yet. Um, but that is all from us. Um, I've been Joe Donoghue and, and this has been uh, the Scouted Football Podcast. Um, thank you very much for tuning in. Um, if you've liked this episode, please consider leaving us uh, a review uh, or tweeting us uh, on Twitter um, or, or just telling a friend or family member about you know listening to a new podcast um, in the meantime take care speak soon bye bye <laughs>